Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Good afternoon and welcome to Collaborative Connections Radio Show and Podcast, sponsored by KLM. I'm your host, Kelly Lorenzen, and we're live in studio in Tempe, Arizona. It'll be a podcast, so we'll be all over the world. How about that? (laughs) Collaborative Connections was started to create a more collaborative environment in our community. I feel like the more we collaborate, the better uh, our world becomes. So with that, I'd like to introduce you to my guests I have on the show today. I'm excited to have you. Welcome, Danny. Nice to meet you officially on air. How about that? Indeed. Pleasure to be here, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about you and your business. So I'm uh, Danny Murphy. I'm the Director of Construction for a local family-owned uh, solar installation business. It's called Arcadia Solar. We have lots of different companies within kind of an overarching Arcadia companies uh, organization. And we try to empower our customers and educate them on the best ways to decrease their energy footprint. Good. I like that. <laughs> All about the environment, right? Indeed. Indeed. Energy efficiencies throughout the house. It yeah. really can make a huge impact. It is. It makes a big difference. And the more we can do every single day to reduce our carbon footprint, the better, right? Absolutely. And welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you for being here. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit about you and your business. I am Megan Murphy, and I am the executive director of the Arcadia Foundation. So our mission is to enrich and empower the communities we serve through collaboration, education, and opportunity. So I'm Danny's sister, and we uh, have our companies connected. Arcadia Solar, our Arcadia Foundation is a branch of the Arcadia Solar Companies. Oh, I love that. Family-owned, right up my alley, and philanthropy on top of it, right? Yes. That's right. That's a necessity. And uh, again, we were talking before the show, It in our world, it is important that we give back. It's important. You know, family is important. And uh, what a cool thing that you guys get to combine that. Absolutely. We're very lucky. So what, what do you do for the foundation or what what is the main purpose of it? So as I said, we enrich and empower the communities we serve. Um, collaboration is a really big piece to me. I'm glad you started with that. I think collaboration is a big part of what makes a community a community. I always promote collaboration over competition. So we started as more of an international-focused organization, which I can get into a little bit later. But we really pivoted during the pandemic, just seeing the need grow in our own backyard with the housing crisis and how many people are experiencing homelessness today. We really just felt like we needed to change everything we were doing and focus on that and make sure that families, which are so important to us, are staying together and staying safe. And that's really what drives our mission. Mm, So what do you guys, what do you do for that? So we have really come alongside the people that have been doing the work for a longer time. The Arcadia Foundation is pretty new. We've been working as a family for a long time. We've always grown up giving back. We grew up here in Arizona, all of us. And so it's been important to come together as a family and as a community to really focus on the needs where wherever they are and however we can. So the Arcadia Foundation comes alongside organizations and we just find out what they're doing, why they're doing it, and how we can help. Oh, that's really cool. So raising money, raising awareness for other 
uh, organizations. Yeah, we've worked with groups in the Valley, like St. Vincent de Paul and the Human Services Campus to really just raise money for them, donate to them, and find out how we can spread the word about what kind of needs they have and how people can get involved. Yeah, it's re- the more the more of us who talk about it, right? The more that we can spread the word. You said you started uh, as an international helping. I did too. So I want to hear your story about, yeah. the, about that, how you guys started the Absolutely. So side. when we kind of started talks about the Arcadia Foundation, we'd always, it always been a dream of my dad's to have a family foundation. And as I said, we really grew up knowing the importance of giving back and being able to do so through time, talent, and treasure. So even when we weren't really in the position to financially support we were making sure that we spent our time and talent or we're giving back through time and talent as well. So once the Arcadia Solar Companies got going and we got a little bit older, we really felt like we could make a positive change collectively in the communities that we were serving. At that time, I was traveling to Haiti each year through an Arizona-based organization called Chances for Children. Arcadia Solar had a water filtration system in Haiti also through Give Power, which is another great organization. And then there's another organization in El Salvador, the Tamarindo Foundation, which we've always supported as a family. It's started and run for over 30 years by one of my dad's best friends from Brophy down in downtown Phoenix. So he lives there and runs the foundation. So we have the Murphy Family Field is in El Salvador. We have a solar system in Haiti, and then also that water filtration system that I mentioned So we were really doing more work individually and together internationally. But as I said, when the pandemic hit and the housing crisis started, we really just completely pivoted around the time that we became official. And I came to work for the foundation is when we really started serving people experiencing homelessness here in the Valley. Mm, Really, really impactful. So tell us, you talked about Arcadia Solar. Obviously, with the name, you assume it's just solar, but how cool is it that you guys have the water filtration and can give it to people in third world countries that can't have access to it at all? Yeah, so we were able to support that Give Power uh, organization that, that Megan was speaking about. And it has to do with the revenues right? that, that we can help, um, all the solar systems that we've sold. Pieces of those, pieces of the revenue coming in went to help build that. So it actually is a business that, that puts these up all over the world. This one in particular in Haiti uh, is a desalination solar farm water uh, water production plant. So wow. right now it serves over 30,000 people a day, clean water, which wow. is just non-existent in that area right now. Wow, isn't that huge? That's such a huge impact. I love that. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> we, love, we love the hard work, you know, not only providing opportunities for for other community members to have work. I think that's another thing that we pride ourselves quite a bit, um, and we always have, is allowing the opportunity for community members to have meaningful work. Um, we, we pride ourselves on you know, the, the minimum wage that we set is much higher than the minimum wage of the state, and that is something that we will always do to make sure that people can have meaningful work and go home and support their families because, as it's well observed, we're, we're big family people. Um, yeah. We try to support that family culture uh, and all the employees that we, uh, excuse me, all the people that we employ. I'm hearing all your core values, all of, <laughs> right, <laughs> all across the board. Well, thank you. That's so exciting. Welcome to the show, Colin. Thank you for being here. Tell us a little bit about you and uh, the Tempe Chamber. 
Sure. Well, I've uh, been fortunate to be the president and CEO for the last eight months. So new to the state, new to Tempe, and new to the chamber, uh, but was in a similar capacity in California. Uh, so the Tempe Chamber, we're the voice of business, advocate on behalf of our businesses, small and large here in Tempe, and we have some membership that's outside of the city as well. So definitely a beautiful community, great business community, and uh, happy to be here. Yeah, it, it sure is. I've been a Tempe Chamber member 20 years, I think. That, that's awesome. <laughs> a really Thank long time. <laughs> it is important to give back. We were talking about, a lot about philanthropy and, and family business and Tempe. We all actually live in Tempe. How about that? <laughs> And just giving consistently, I said, even if I can't come to anything, if I just give my money to you guys so you can be the advocates for us in Tempe, right, then then I'm doing something. Like you said, time, treasure, and what was the third Talent. Talent, yeah. Talent, right? I've, I've served on the board of directors and all the committees and everything of the chamber because it, it's, it's important not just to— to move business forward, but to give you guys the voice. Because I don't think people know that the money goes to the advocacy side of things. I don't think people know chamber. You know, like it, it doesn't correlate. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that piece. Sure. If I had to, I guess, move people into buckets, there's the buckets that think the chambers solely do networking events. And we definitely have some of those. Or there's people that have never heard of the chamber, don't have any idea what we do. And then there's a smaller percentage that have a, a broader picture. So advocacy, we work a lot with our local and state elected officials as well as federally to uh, ensure that there's policies that are in place that are supportive of business. So conversations like this, conversations with small and large businesses, we're able to go back to the elected officials and share um, how policies they're putting forward would impact them. Um, additionally, outside of networking, Resources, so being able to provide funding resources, business education, uh, and also protective services for businesses, whether that be uh, as it relates to, um, you know, wage and hour, to record retention, to homelessness issue, staffing and retention. So a pretty big myriad of things that we try to cover for our membership. And so it is true for our, our longtime valued members, you know, we appreciate kind of that combination of time, talent, and treasure. And there are some people that have a whole lot more time, but maybe not the treasure. Those that are uh, uniquely positioned in terms of talent and, and what we're looking at ahead of us. And so I'm just, you know, happy to be at the center of it all. And I, I was speaking to someone the other day, if I had to sum up the chamber in one word, it'd probably be access. And that looks differently. For a small business, it might be access to their potential clients, to resources. For our larger companies, it might be to elected officials or everything in between. Mm. And we were talking uh, before about community, right, and collaboration. It, it to me, the chamber is is that collaboration yep. and community all together, right? In business life, I've met so many great friends through the chamber, you know. And I really like that you guys can be a voice for us when we may just not have the time or the the know how to talk to elected officials or to push business, you know, pro business. That's really, really important. I think really good work. Yeah, we've been very fortunate that Tempe as a whole, you mentioned about collaboration. We're part of Team Tempe, which is Tempe Tourism, Downtown Tempe Authority, us, of course, and then the Economic Development Department for the city. And a lot of that is kind of a 360 listening tour. You know, what are stakeholders in the business community saying? How do we share that with the elected officials? What's their response? And 
you know, everybody from the mayor down has been really responsive and supportive in terms of uh, wanting to hear what is going on with businesses and trying to create a great environment so that a, a lot of our businesses, whether they be, you know, mom and pop or multinational, if you will, are able to thrive here. Nonprofits. We oh, have absolutely. a, a yep. lot of nonprofits that are a part of the chamber. Arcadia yep. Foundation is on air with us <laughs> and talking about the give back, but we need to pull in those other types of people, right? You need to be able to have the community and the resources. So I think it's nice that it's not just business, right? Yep. That it's organizations and nonprofits and businesses can all come together and, and work together and and build our community Absolutely. and build Tempe that we love so much. <laughs> Absolutely. I would say just as a resident of Tempe and someone who grew up in the city of Phoenix, something I've noticed a lot is that Tempe I feel like more than any other city provides the opportunity to hear from their residents, just getting the newsletters and emails. I see so much opportunity to speak out about whatever is going on in the city or to give feedback. I know that there's a no waste day coming up and just really a lot of opportunities you see even to support the foundations and organizations that are in Tempe. So definitely kudos to Tempe and happy to be living here now and Look forward to raising my family here. <laughs> oh, I know. And and you talk about um, the no waste day. I'm hearing with you guys talking about the reducing your carbon footprint and all that. We recently put on a big event with uh, Conscious Capitalism Arizona. They're on the backdrop, you see, <laughs> as part of our Phoenix Business Radio X. But we, but we, Beyond Zero is a movie they did about a manufacturer of carpet. They were wasting so much excess, right? They were having, you know, I mean, you know, in 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 manufacturing, there's there's a lot of waste, and they were the the owner said that we have to do something about this. We cannot be so wasteful. How can we be carbon neutral? And everybody's like, there's that that's not possible. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, we're going to figure it out. And so the movie's about how they figured out in 20 years to become carbon. Now they're even carbon negative, I think, wow. besides just being zero. Um, I think they just started on the on the negative. So what a cool thing for something like that, you know, to be in. We talk about the sustainability and the environment and all that. I mean, yeah. it is a, a really impactful film. It's like, okay, if if a manufacturer of carpet can do it, we mm -hmm. all can do it. We all can play a part in helping the environment. Absolutely. I did some studying on sustainability in addition to construction management. Uh, at, well, I attended ASU, so Tempe grad. And that's exactly the general overview of let's look at every single process from manufacturing to transportation. How do we, how do we get out exactly what we put into it or how do we offset the, the, um, uh, the difference, right? That's uh, the general gist of it. And manufacturing is probably, in construction in particular, construction produces 40% of the world's waste. So when you look at stuff like pre-manufacturing, um, that's a huge, huge um, addition to the sustainable atmosphere and construction. If we can prefab as much as we can, then it's in a controlled environment when we're building um, those wastes that you talk about. It's much easier on a job site just to go toss it in the yep. big dumpster instead of making different dumpsters to collect the different amount of waste that can eventually turn into something else, right? So let's talk about the reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, that, that system has a huge impact in construction. And the more that we can promote that, the more that we can put the, to make it easier, right, to do it, that helps 
an, an immense amount. It sure does, because if it's not accessible, you don't think about it. Exactly. Right? So if you if you don't have a blue bin in front of you, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, well, it's just going to go in the trash. On the alternative, I love that the younger generations are actually thinking about it more than than we did, because my son will not—we we went on a two-week road trip the last two years, and a lot of the states don't have recycle. And he's we're like, sorry, bud, there's no recycle. Nope, it's going in a trash bag in our car, and we're bringing it two <laughs> weeks and get and get to another state or get or bring it all the way home because sorry, mom, but we're gonna recycle. You know, I mean, it's what a cool thing it is that that our next generations are holding us accountable to doing better. Yep, I have to admit, I do that in my apartment. My apartment does not offer recycling, so I bag up my bottles and cans and stuff like that and bring them to work so I can throw it away there. And that's. You're absolutely right. It does get ingrained in this in the younger generations, and the more we can educate at that level, that's how we really change society's view and and behaviors accordingly. Absolutely. So, for people who don't know, let's just pretend that everybody's been in space for a long time. Can you tell us what solar, what putting solar on your house or business, what that means? I mean, we see it behind us, um, so solar panels. But tell us, you know, if people didn't know what that meant, sure. and then because we were just talking about the environment, you know, the the impact that that has. Sure, solar photovoltaic is what it's called. The uh, uh, solar PV system are the solar panels that you'd see on big solar farms, but more likely than not around the city, they'll be on top of commercial roofs and residential roofs. And it basically, during the day when the sun is shining, which fortunately for us in Phoenix, it's over 300 days a year, and we've got nice sunny skies, you are producing uh, your own power. So while the building is still connected to the city's grid power source, during the day, the solar is actually pushing that grid power away and say, nope, we don't need it yet. And all of your fixtures, all of your um, circuits in the building are being fed directly from that solar power. And then if you have a system that's large enough that you're producing more than you're consuming during the day, you're actually throwing power back onto the grid. And that's how you can gain savings in, in addition. So in addition to not pulling from the grid during the day when the sun is shining, you're also adding power back to the utilities grid and it could be sucked up by your neighbor. Right, so you're you're helping in more than more than one way, just powering your own house. Wow, that's really cool. That's that's one more way, right? Besides recycling, that we can all contribute. Absolutely, it is. Uh, I think a, another big component of that is I mentioned the reduce, reuse, recycle thing. The reduction part um, is something that the Arcadia companies as a whole is looking really hard into. We want to be able to provide solar panels and that option for customers. But if you have thousand units right, of electricity to produce that much solar forever, it's it may not be as feasible, right? So we need to look at reducing our energy demand and then um, covering that demand with these renewable types of energies. I think that's in the long term. That's what everybody needs to focus on. So we have a whole energy reduction company that's forthcoming, and it'll be looking at everything from energy efficient windows to you know sealing your your air ducts to automation has a huge role to play in it turning registers off in rooms that people aren't in so there's a lot of a lot of really cool things that are that are coming down the road that should help a lot with our with our energy issues potentially mm-hmm. that's really really cool 
Do you guys do anything as the foundation with uh, the environment or are you mostly focused on humans <laughs> on yes. the people side of things? <laughs> we would love to focus on it in the future, but right now we really see the real need as people experiencing homelessness, unfortunately, not even having those homes to reduce anything in and also knowing that it does cause quite a bit of waste and that our neighborhoods could just be a lot better if people were better taken care of and families had a place to go and a roof over their head. So we'd love to get solar on those roofs, but first we want to make sure that those roofs are there and that people have shelter and safety. Mm -hmm. That's really, really important, especially right now. It just keeps, seems like, especially through the pandemic, it's just gotten so much worse. Yeah, we know that in Arizona, that families have to make $40,000 a year or $20 an hour really to even be able to afford rent right now. And the voucher system is has a very long wait list that can take two to five years to even get a voucher sometimes. And then finding somewhere to cash that voucher in is almost impossible as well. So definitely looking into that in the future, we'd love to look at options of how we can add more affordable housing into the spaces and to maybe, you know, redo some old apartment complexes to create communities that not only provide affordable housing, but also important things like job training or financial literacy so that people who are using those resources don't return to homelessness, which is something that we see a lot as well. And mental health. Absolutely. Huge, huge. And I think being a part of a community really helps in that area as well, knowing that you have people who care about you and, you know, family, which is something that we're obviously passionate about, but family as in a community and people that will have your back and will help you prevent homelessness in the first place, help you while you are experiencing that, and then help make sure that it doesn't happen again. Yeah. It, the I heard recently about Tempe, and you would know with your team, Tempe, what are they doing? I know they're doing stuff about the homelessness, and I know they're doing a big push for affordable housing. Can you talk about that a little sure. bit? Sure. So the city just introduced, I want to say it was in September, a 30, 60, 90 day plan, which is kind of a, a combination of trying to increase the amount of resources that are out there for those that are unhoused. And then also, I think 30 to 40% of those that are unhoused in Tempe were found along just north of Rio Salado, kind of along the river there. And at for a number of reasons, isn't safe. You know, you'd have swells during storms and other things. And so the city did a sweep there, but they also had it combined with resources that they had for folks that were unhoused. The chamber, DTA, so Team Tempe as a whole, had resources uh, in terms of wellness kits and uh, water bottle, reusable water bottles and things of that nature. But it's, you know, that's the start of the process. I think we're getting right about to that 60-day portion of it. Um, which will include more because, as you can imagine, there's a myriad of reasons of why people are unhoused. There are, I think, as you mentioned about the pandemic, you start seeing more. A lot of those folks don't realize the majority of our country is, you know, one or two paychecks away from homelessness. And unfortunately, a lot of people realize that during the pandemic when positions were cut or their companies were closed. So just looking at what that would be moving forward uh, in terms of affordable housing, I know that... Uh, I've got to remember the term that's used out here, County Island. I'm used to unincorporated area, but County Island up on uh, north of the 202 that the city has started to annex some of that. And there's housing that's going to go in there and there's uh, additional affordable housing that's going in. But 
to the point that they just made. Unfortunately, you know, because of the demand of housing, because of the supply chain, because of so many other things, the land value, we're not going to be able to keep up with the amount of housing that we need to develop for just general, uh, just for the general market, let alone for, you know, reduced cost of housing for rentals, for affordable housing, and then even with the voucher program. So we're trying to be creative, uh, you know, from a chamber perspective, uh, something that is a little bit longer term, but it'll be here before we know it. We're looking at a, a capital campaign, housing and affordability around child care, and then also around attraction and retention of employees. And so there's other communities that have done this in terms of chambers where they've raised anywhere from like one and a half to two and a half million dollars to put actual real resources towards putting some of these programs in place. Because there's a lot of great um, organizations and nonprofits that exist that have the talent and maybe even the time, but not the treasure. And then you have some large corporations that are willing to partner that don't necessarily have the time, but have the the treasure. And again, going back to the convening piece that you mentioned, that's an opportunity for us to be kind of in the center of that and bringing folks to the table to, to work on some of those solutions. Yeah, that's really, really good. That's a it, a long-term solution, right? That we just need more, more money and it affects so many things, right? If there's not affordable housing, then people can't live close enough to where they're going to work. So then we don't have employees to work at the places and then they don't have money to, you know, be able to pay for the thing. So it, it, it's a trickle down effect. A lot of my clients yep. are, I mean, all my clients are small business owners or family owned businesses and they're just struggling to find employees. Well, if they don't have any employees that, you know, can afford even the gas to get from really far out of town to come into town to work, right? Then yeah. we're not going to get the employees that we need to. So remote work, obviously, but when you're talking about, you know, services that need mm -hmm. physical bodies in place, we have, there has to be something that we can do. Yep. You know, there has to be a change that needs to happen. Absolutely. Right. I'll definitely give kudos to Tempe again. Also, they have a great dashboard on the City of Tempe website that really addresses people experiencing homelessness. And you can see numbers related to affordable housing and everything like that. So that information, I think, is a lot more available in Tempe than I've seen in other parts of the Valley. And I think by addressing the problem and knowing the data, you're one step closer to coming to the resolution. So I definitely have always been excited and happy to get that data so accessible from Tempe and Hopefully, some of uh, the other cities in the Valley will follow suit. I'll add one other thing. It's not publicly released yet, but it's coming. Uh, and I just saw the first draft of it. But about same time last month, maybe middle of September, there were 26 businesses, I believe, that were surveyed. Many south uh, in South Tempe because, uh, and, and you may or may not have heard this before, but there is a, a narrative both from the residential side and the business side about the north part of Tempe versus the south part of Tempe in terms of resources, how the that it's almost two cities and, and not in a lot of ways. And the city has done a great job of trying to provide resources and programming all throughout. But it seems that, you know, if you're closer to the nucleus, you tend to hear about it more if you're further away. And so that survey was really about the impacts of homelessness on businesses and business owners and everything from there's a, a company that I won't name that they're staff is more women because it's more like personal care. They end up having to have twice as many staff in the evening, though their demand is less because to close up, there's, you know, impacts of, and, and it's not necessarily, it's more of the chronically unhoused, the ones that are, you know, maybe a little bit unruly. There's a safety concern there. 
In other areas, there are some that'll say there are folks that they see all the time that they want to be able to provide resources to, that they talk to, they have open dialogue with, but they don't know where to turn people to or, you know, what that looks like. Or some will say, you know, there was somebody that actually came to uh, the meeting that we had and said that their family was uh, homeless for two years and they would not go to the shelters. Like they did not feel safe going in particular. Mm -hmm. And so the feedback's been great because the city has been really proactive and reactive to what they're hearing. And this is probably, and again, I have an eight-month sample size, but from what I'm hearing, uh, the largest effort that's been put in Tempe and, and then in that regards in the East Valley as it relates to addressing homelessness. And I hope that as in other areas that we become a catalyst because I've coming from the LA area, homelessness is a regional challenge. I mean, Tempe could do everything exactly right. And if our neighbors are not aligned with us, we haven't really done anything to solve the problem. You'll see, you'll see it happen across borders. You'll see there's a lot of different factors. People will come in, which is great. But if there's a limited amount of resources, then you're solving a regional problem in one area. And so, but it's, I, I'm, uh, definitely heartened to see all the efforts that are going into it, consistent effort, because I've I've seen a lot of performative efforts in other communities I've been in before where, you know, it's the, the flavor of the month, if you will, and we'll put resources there, and then next month we kind of move away from that, so. That's really good. You're right, though. We need to all get on board, right? Yeah. It can't just be Tempe, because if we're doing really well, then we have this huge influx of more because they hear everybody hears that Tempe's doing great, right? But then that's not solving the the right. overarching issue of uh, homelessness. We did an event here with Max Six is really big on on conscious capitalism, and they were having a homeless issue uh, on the corner. And instead of building a huge wall, they connected with Tiger Mountain Foundation and built gardens around so they could feed. The home, the people that were experiencing homelessness, instead of, yep. instead of locking them out or you know being scared of them or mm-hmm. calling the police or whatever. What a, what a cool thing, right? To here, we're going to provide food for you, right? Since you're here, mm-hmm. and the guard T- Tiger Mountain Foundation helps them uh, learn the skill and do the gardening, yep. and then you know be able to feed themselves, and then and then sell the food to be able to make money. So and putting them through those programs you were talking about like if we great if we have housing for them but if we don't have the programs to go with it right if we don't have the the mental health programs and we don't have the get job readiness and all those other things it's not it won't do us any yeah. good yeah. yeah it's definitely the wraparound services we need all of it i know city of phoenix does a lot of great work too if you watch the city council meetings you get a lot of information they have a whole committee based for people experiencing homelessness and how the city will respond to that. And they just started a really strong partnership with a great amount of money towards an organization that we've supported as well, which is St. Vincent de Paul, who's got a great new center that I think they're hoping to expand around the Valley. That really, it's a low barrier facility, like we talked about before, a lot of people who either want to stay, you know, with their, their partner or with their family, or they have a dog or something like that. There's not as many resources for them. A lot of the shelters you'll see are kind of for individuals. That's why a lot of people choose not to go into those shelters or receive those resources. So I think having low barrier facilities and services available is really important. And St. Vincent de Paul has really heard that and is responding in a great way 
by creating those areas that people can be at 24-7. It's not somewhere that you show up to at night and you have to be out in the morning. You can be there all the time. And I know the Human Services Campus as well, it's kind of a one-stop shop. I think they have uh, 16 different organizations on site. So you can get your mail delivered there, which creates an awesome opportunity for you to have a job with an address. You can get your ID there. You can get business clothes. You can get job training through all the different organizations that they work with. So definitely a great approach from a lot of different cities in the area will, will create that regional solution that we really need in the Valley. That's really cool. I didn't realize that St. Vincent de Paul was doing that. Yes. We got a little update on that at a St. Vincent de Paul breakfast that we were going through. And what really caught my attention was when they put this up, they were getting a little pushback right from the neighborhoods saying, you know, we don't we don't want necessarily to draw attention to this neighborhood. We already have this homeless problem. We don't want to draw attention to it. And what they found out is because it is a, a full-time, you can treat it as, you know, a, a home, the visual in the neighborhood— of there being a lot of homeless dropped immensely. Mm-hmm. And the the neighbors, the people in that community are saying, wow, we should have done this a long time ago, right? So promoting that sort of community and reaching out and giving them some dignity and, and providing those services that they really need to get back up on their feet. I, I got to say that I've learned so much in the past two years being more involved with St. Vincent de Paul. That made the world of difference to me. And it just kind of light bulb went off of, wow, you, you really give them the opportunity. And it's amazing. It's amazing what they can do with just that little extra help. Um, in addition to one of the major things that I love about it is you're helping a person that one time, right? There could be one big expense that just hit them. And that's what's going to tip them over from not being able to make their rent or, or you know, yep. losing that. And it, maybe it's 2500 bucks. You know, that one time, that's all they need. St. Vincent de Paul provides services like that, provides options like that, and really makes a big impact. Yeah, that collaboration and community piece is so important to get the buy-in from the businesses and to have everybody stand up and say, you know, this is not someone else's problem. This is our problem, and we all want to work together for the betterment of our community. And to have that buy-in from businesses and neighbors around the area, I think this is a great first step in realizing that if people do support that in their neighborhoods, that it can make it look different. And what you might have thought would draw larger populations of people experiencing homelessness or whatever you might think it correlates with that is actually quite the opposite. And it can better your community and create a stronger community in your neighborhood. What a cool concept. Now I have to go look it up. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. We're going to switch gears a little bit. I, I love talking about our higher purpose and our why. So I know I didn't tell you this ahead of time. <laughs> I have to throw you on the spot a little bit. But I love knowing people's drivers. I like knowing the reason behind, you know, why you do what you do. You can answer it from, you know, the businesses or the organization's perspective and for yourself. You know, can you tell me, Danny, I'll start with you. What's your why or your higher purpose for, for you and for Arcadia Solar? Well, I know I touched on it a little bit in the beginning, but certainly the our mission statement, what, what Arcadia Solar itself is out trying to do, and the Arcadia companies as a whole, is really to empower our customers, right, to make smart investments, hopes to have savings and decrease their, their energy footprint, right? Um, and that is through, education is a huge piece of it. Uh, I think that a lot of people think about, oh, I'm going to get solar and now I'll never have an electricity bill again or anything like that. But 
it's not always the case. And we really pride ourselves on making sure that, that the customer is informed about what they're buying. They're informed about how to use the energy efficiency products that they purchase so that they can, they can feel like they're in control. They know the impacts right, of their actions. So in addition to empowering our customers, as I mentioned, providing jobs for, for people in our community, I know that that rings very, very true in our father's heart, uh, who's the owner and, and founder of Arcadia Solar and Arcadia Energy Group as the governing company over all of it. And that has trickled down to all of his children. And that certainly rings true in my heart. When I, when I go to work and being in the director level, overseeing all the field guys, I certainly think daily right, about how, how can I do my job better so that these guys can have an easier day out on top of a roof when it's 115 out. You know, the summer months installing solar is not, not always the best time to be out there, but they do it. And I think the family culture that we've cultivated in the corporate office extends even out to our satellite warehouses in Vegas and in Fresno and El Paso, Texas. That's certainly why, why I do it is to make sure that other people have the ability to provide for their families because that's ingrained into my principles. And that's what I look forward to doing one day and certainly do my best to to help everybody else do that too. Really cool. I love that. All right, Megan, you're up. So I would definitely say that's something that's always just really remained true in my heart is that I'm very, very lucky and grateful to be in the position I'm in with the awesome family I have and that we have all cared a lot about our community and been part of such a strong community. But I've always just thought it's just by chance that I'm that I woke up in the family that I did. And that there's no reason that I couldn't have woken up in a different situation in a lot of hardship and experienced that and that everyone deserves that same equal love and support feeling on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, forever basis that I feel very grateful to have all the time. So definitely always had a heart for that and had a heart for people who haven't had the same experience and also a responsibility to bring people who have been fortunate to be educated on the, how they can help and make sure that that rings true to everybody. Definitely grown up with that instilled in me. And then I majored in nonprofit at ASU. Very grateful to be a part of that and learn from so many different perspectives and people about different missions and what's important to them. And just kind of taken a piece of all of that um, in my heart and just moved forward in the best way I know how. But definitely just always with gratitude and with that feeling that everybody deserves that same feeling of love and support. Yep, they sure do. That's a big thing in our family, too, is like, who else wants to come over? You know, even if it's just like throw a party to have everybody have a good time and feel connected and and feel, you know, like they're part of the family. Yeah, and feel heard and feel like their day is important and that somebody's genuinely curious about how they're doing and how they're feeling. And yeah, I think that's a very special thing that everyone deserves to feel on a regular basis. That's it. it no wonder you you love St. Vincent de Paul and, and the work you do. That's really, really cool. All right. What about you, Colin? So I'll start with the uh, canned version of what our mission statement is, and I'll peel back the onion. You know, so the chamber exists as a, as a catalyst of economic vitality, convener of people, ideas, and resources, and a champion of strong community. But We've, we're interviewing for a position for a program and events coordinator or a manager. And so the last two or three weeks, 
I set out and met with a bunch of people and then I brought my team to meet with them because I've something that's always resonated with me is culture. And I've hired great people before that did not fit well with the team and it was a nightmare. And I've hired people that were pretty good that fit well with the team and that kind of one plus one equals five mentality. So I, I think uh, for the chamber, a lot of it is culture. There's a saying in the industry, if you've seen one chamber, you've seen one chamber. Um, we all technically do the same thing, but very differently. I would invite you um, to visit other chambers, even in the East Valley, and you'll realize the communities are different. So the chambers are different. What they do is different. But I've been fortunate through my 10 plus years in chamber work uh, to be in communities that were really, that cared about each other. I think there's, you know, there's no uh, coincidence in the correlation of how many nonprofits exist in the communities that I've been in, where, you know, I, I came from a community that was 5.1 square miles, 41,000 residents, and there were 322 nonprofits. Oh, now, my God. Granted, some of those were, you know, a husband and a wife and a kid that started, you know, like a, a car wash for what have you. And some of them were really large ones, but it sp spoke to the servitude heart. And so I think that's what really resonates with me. My my dad is from an island of Rotan off the coast of Honduras, left when he was 17. And you could either go into the military, cargo ship or cruise ship. And so he worked as, on the cruise ship as a, as a dishwasher, busboy, waiter, head waiter, um, but essentially from the island had the equivalent of a sixth grade education. And so for him, I literally saw him give somebody the shirt off his back. I mean, people say that cliche, but he, that, that's who he is. Um, my birth mom left when I was three, my dad remarried. And so I got to see, you know, my dad who would give anything for us and worked really hard and was a custodian pretty much his whole life. And my mom who essentially inherited us, you know, she didn't meet us initially. She met him. And so kind of had that as a work ethic. And to the point you're mentioning about what people, you know, deserve and what I feel like, if, and we had this question earlier, what would you consider to be a good day? And if it's, if I felt like I helped somebody, you know, a business owner, somebody that is just in business or in the community feel either better about their situation or that there's a, an option that's out there for them, then I feel success. And in our work, every day is different. Some parts are the same, but ultimately we're helping businesses keep, whether they're small businesses and you could say the American dream or they're larger and, you know, they're continuing to move forward. Um, so I, I appreciate that and kind of the lift as you climb. Uh, you know, there's people that are further along than I am, but there are people that are not as far as I am. And, you know, as I'm pulling myself up, I should be also helping others. And so it's definitely something I appreciate. That's for sure. You you speak in my language. Our our higher perp, my higher purpose, and and for KLM is is to uh, give small businesses a fighting chance at success in this world. Yeah. We're all better for it, right? You talk about the families, the impact that your company has on not only the guys that you have, you know guys and women in the company, but then they're, you're impacting their family life, right? You're impacting how they go home and are at home. And and I say that, I tease with my kids that, that I like, that's my favorite part is not only impacting my clients, but I'm helping their families and we're helping the community because of all the things because they help me in the family business, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> they help they help me with all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, you're helping another family by helping me, mm -hmm. by, you know, by continuing the work that we do uh, is to is to push that forward 
like you said, lifting other people up. Yep. The more every single day I wake up, I'm like, I get paid to actually help mm-hmm. people like this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just feel so lucky, right? That you can do something you love and help people and feel that that sense of of success and um, that you are getting to live your higher purpose every single day. So it's it's really really cool. Um, so along the way, along our um, business paths, we always have lessons that we learn, and some we we love, and some we grit our teeth at <laughs> thinking about. <laughs> uh, but they are every lesson is uh, can help somebody else. Every mm-hmm. everything we learn along the way, uh, if we share and we're good about sharing our stories and um, and the tribulations, right, that come along with things, I think it impacts and it helps others. So uh, I'd love to know a lesson you learned, uh, good or bad, but something, and and I won't pick on you, Danny, to go first if you don't want to, but anybody can go, um, something that you think that, you know, would be good if somebody else knew. Well, I'd be happy to take this one first. Uh, Let's say Arcadia Solar has gone through a big change in the past uh, in the past twelve months, um, just on how we how we look at future um, future opportunities, how we look at where we want our company to be, and what types of services that we want to provide. And I think for a long time again, we we started over, a little over ten years ago. Um, you know, put over ten thousand solar systems up uh, in our history, and we we did it one way for so long, right? And we thought that that was the the only way that we should be doing it. And we almost turned our cheek or turned a blind eye to what the industry was changing and how it was changing right alongside us. But we were just nope, kept trucking along, doing our doing our own uh, our own thing. And about a year ago, we decided to kind of peel those blinders off and experiment, right? And change is super, super hard. It's never comfortable, but sometimes it is so worth it. And that's what we did. We did uh, about a year ago. We decided, hey, let's let's change things up a little bit. Let's start. I mean, I don't want to bore you with the the actual specifics, but design changes and and how we process jobs and how we look at future markets and how we go installing those markets, that sort of thing. Just let's start from scratch, right? Let's just hypothetically, what if we did it this way? And then let's experiment about it. So I would say that it was a huge lesson learned um, and definitely advice to the other small businesses out there that have been operating one way for a while and for some reason they. They just, they're missing that little, a little last ingredient. My, my dad always mentions like that you're making a cake and there's just one little ingredient that's still off and we're going to find that little ing- ingredient. So experiment with what that little ingredient can be. And I promise you, you won't regret the, the lessons that you learn. Even if you strike out a couple of times on it, you will find what that missing ingredient is and that's going to send you off on the right track. Oh, I love that. It is really important to embrace change as a small business <laughs> or as a family-owned business, right? If we, especially family-owned businesses, I, I grew up in a family business. It You're like, no, no, no. That's just how we always, that's how we always did it. That's just the way it is, right? I'm like, and I'm always the poker, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. okay, but that doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, and I'm always flipping stuff. I, I love change. Um, and I love if something's not right to figure out to make it right, you know, to figure out that doesn't feel so good. Mm, course correct. I'm consistently changing it until it feels really good mm-hmm. all the time. 
Um, when I came back to work for the family business, they were, you know, just using whoever for, for all the supplies and everything in the business was just whatever, probably people who sold them really well, right? <laughs> and I said, no, no, no. Everything we're going to buy is going to be from a local company. And they're like, what? <laughs> Nobody has time for that. Nobody has the <laughs> power to do that. Oh, yes, I do. And I will. And I changed every single thing from the shredding, you know, to where we were getting the gowns. It's medical practice, you know, to, to every single thing to a local business or a small business because I knew that was going to be more impactful. That was going to be more important in the long run. You know, again, okay, well, then we're supporting that family and then we're supporting that community and then we're all, you know, helping each other. So I love that. Really, really good that that uh, you can peel back the onion in the family business going, okay, I guess we're starting over or, yeah. or consistently change it until it does feel right or it does work right. or it tastes good for the case. More times than not, you will not nail it the first try. So nope. you just got to keep moving forward and keep trying until you find that, that special ingredient. I cannot yeah. wait for you to listen or to watch Beyond Zero. They do that a lot with the manufacturer. Like they were like, ooh, that didn't work, you know, because they, they'd used glue forever. Mm -hmm. And they just consistently tried new things till they figured out this tiny little strip that they put in the four corners of the carpet. And so instead of using glue oh, yeah. that everybody knew, oh, wow. they just use a tiny little strip this big. I mean, that's a huge change, but it, it took somebody willing to raise their hand and say, what about this? And the company culture to be able to accept that right. and not just be top down and like, no, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We need a collective, uh, you know, we need to put all of our minds together, all of our brains and figure out the best solution. Absolutely. Every single crew that we have knows if you find a more efficient, better way to do this with the same quality and, and same, you know, integrity outcome, I want to know about it so that everybody can know about it and we can all grow and become more efficient together. That's certainly the culture we try to try to promote. That's huge. Okay, Megan, you're up. <laughs> it kind of goes hand in hand with that, but I've worked in a few different places and in a few different cultures and offices, and I would just say that you deserve to work in a place where you have that voice, you have that respect, you have that dignity, and that you're working for as much as you can something that you believe in. You believe that even if, you know, it's not— the passion and passionate work, whatever you do, that you believe that you're doing it the best way possible and that um, it's looking out, it's adding, contributing something. It could be the smallest thing, but if it's contributing to making a better, easier, more efficient life for you, for the families, for communities, that you really believe that and that the people that you're working for hold those same values and that they are people who treat you with respect and want to hear your new ideas if you find a better way to do something and and don't have that. It's just always the way it's been done kind of idea. So I think that I've been in situations on both sides where I've worked in an office and with a leadership team where I maybe haven't felt that and just knowing how much it it brought down my productivity and my my happiness at home and my mental health. And then also working on the other side where you do have that feeling where you go to work every day and your manager or director asks you, how are you doing? And they really want to know. They don't want to just hear good or fine, that they are really curious and you can go to them with new ideas and new perspectives. I think that's something that everyone deserves to have their voice heard and feel like they're 
making a positive contribution to whatever the end result of wherever you're working is. Look at that trickle effect, right, on both sides. If you have a good environment at work and you are happy and people care about you, you take that home. It's the same. Absolutely. If you have a terrible boss or a terrible, you know, people in your in your culture, you're going to take that home too. Mm-hmm. So why, you know, if, unless you've been trained and you're really good at shutting it off and switching gears, you're still going to have that residue either way. Absolutely. So, yeah. So that makes a big difference of of all of us are are can be empowered to make somebody else's day and and to make everybody feel good about about coming to work. I love that. All right, Colin, lessons learned along the way. So it's interesting you this this question because I think about uh, I look at the chamber tends to be anywhere from looking at the pandemic two hours, but up to two years ahead of the business trends. So during the pandemic, we would find out about what was going on at the state or executive orders a few hours before you all would find out and we would disseminate that information and it was valuable. Now we're starting to see trends with, you know, the hiring and retaining of employees and what that looks like a couple of years ahead. Like you guys seem like have a great culture, so you guys will be in a good position, but there are other companies that the position, like each of you have said it and it made my skin crawl each time, but that we've always done it this way or this is, you know, that's my number one pet peeve. It's usually the first sign for me that we need to inspect that process because it probably should change. So if I had to narrow it, I'd say be intentional. You know, so whatever the company culture or direction or vision is, be intentional about that with what you're doing. Be bold. It's you're, you're gonna. I hate the idea of like sitting on the fence. You're gonna get knocked off one way or the other. So if I'm gonna get hit one way or the other, I might as well be bold in the decision we make. Be collaborative, and you guys gave great examples of what that looks like from a family process. But some of the best ideas I've had in my chamber career were not my ideas. They weren't even ideas from the board. They were ideas from people on staff that said, hey, have we thought about, or, you know, what if we used? And so my staff everywhere I've gone knows, come to me with a problem, but only if you have a solution. I don't care if it's the dumbest solution ever, just that you're thinking about how we might be able to fix this. And usually it's not. Usually it's a great solution and then be vocal. So be vocal as an employee, but also as an employer about, right, this is what we're trying to do as an organization. Here's the input we got from people. Here's who's at the table. And now let's tell our customers, our, our vendors, our clients, our internal stakeholders, what we're trying to do, because you'd be surprised at not only the buy-in, but that's, I think, for staff, because that was one of the questions I got asked during an interview today by uh, an interviewee, was what do they like the most about what they do? And each one of them said that they like that they get to help people, that they feel like they had an impact on somebody's lives, which was great because it's exactly what I think. But we hadn't had a conversation about that. And it made me realize probably should be more vocal about that. Like that is the culture that exists in our office intentionally, but also unintentionally. And so when we bring new people in or people around, we need to be intentional about sharing that with people. So that would be what I'd say. That, that That is the most important, right, is is the helping helping others. I'm consi- when I do consulting for clients, I'll say, who are you going to help today? How are you going to make an impact? Are you happy with what you're doing? Because if you're not happy, why did you start a business if you can't just change it? <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> yeah. There is no reason in owning your own business if you can't just change it to be happy. That's right. <laughs> Get, I said, do what you're good at and outsource everything else, right? 
You're in the driver's seat. Take control. <laughs> Be happy. Help others. I love all these all good advice, good tips. Well, can you believe we've been talking for almost an hour? Isn't that crazy? It fast. goes by really oh, fast. Yes. No, it does indeed. Uh, so tell us, um, Danny, I'll start with you, how people can look you up uh, and any other information that I might have missed. Any last words from your Arcadia Solar? Well, we're hiring no. <laughs> uh, solar installers, oh, for sure. No, just kidding. The uh, main main point, right, is if somebody does, if they're interested in in solar, how they can impact their their energy footprint. Like I was saying, how can you become more efficient? Um, if you're interested in buying solar, even if you just want to go check it out and and look at some cool stats, uh, ArcadiaSolar.com, easy to get to. We've got all the information you'd ever need or or want up there. Um, that, that's all. Good. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Megan, what about you? Any last words? Just, um, yeah, if you want to get more involved, I'd love to have a conversation with you or talk about how you can get involved in the community. TheArcadiaFoundation.org is our website. We have a golf tournament coming up in April. So that's a fun time to come out and get to meet other people from the Valley, get to know our family a little bit and hear more about why we do what we do. But most of the the way, just take care of yourself, take care of your neighbors and contribute to, contribute to your community. Oh, I love that. Colin, what about you? Uh, TempeChamber.org. Uh, Tempe Chamber on pretty much most social media. Uh, I am willing to meet with anybody that has time to meet with me. So if you're on LinkedIn, Colin Diaz. Otherwise, Colin at tempychamber.org, and I'd be more than happy to connect if you want to learn more about the chamber. If you're a current member and I haven't been able to meet you yet, love to have that opportunity. And just thank you for having me today. You're welcome. It was nice to to get to know you personally a little bit more. You and I have been in the same room a lot, yes. but it's nice to get a little more one-on-one time and uh, and hear your stories and your and I love all the collaboration and community that's happening and helping others and lifting each other's up. You've been listening to Collaborative Connections radio show and podcast sponsored by KLM. Do what you love and outsource everything else. Until next time, happy connecting. Mm-hmm.